From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help chief marketing officers in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, I'll be talking about the future of technology and education with Mitch Resnick, professor of learning research at the MIT Media Lab. Mitch develops new technologies to engage people, especially children, in creative learning experiences. His lifelong kindergarten research group recently developed a new programming language called Scratch, which makes it easier for kids to create their own interactive stories, games, and animations, and share their creations on the web. Years ago, Mitch's group developed the programmable bricks that were the basis for the Lego Mindstorms and Pico Cricket construction kits. Mitch also co-founded the Computer Clubhouse Project, an international network of 100 after-school learning centers for youth from low-income communities. Mitch earned a BS in physics from Princeton and a PhD in computer science from MIT. He worked for five years as a science and technology journalist for Business Week, and he has consulted around the world on the uses of technology and education. He is the author or co-author of several books, including my favorite, Turtles, Termites, and Traffic Jams. Welcome to Market Edge, Mitch. It's great to be talking with you, Larry. Hey, Mitch, before we get into you know, some of the stuff you're, you're working on, could you just tell our audience a, a little update on what the Media Lab's up to in general these days? Because uh, um, you know, there must be a lot of fronts that it's, uh, it's doing some innovative work. Well, one way we're expanding is actually physically. We're building a new building right next to our current building that we'll be moving into in around 18 months. We're really excited uh, to be moving into new quarters and expanding the work that we're doing. Part of that new building will be a center called the Center for Future Children, where we'll be emphasizing our work on technology to support children's creative activities and to help children learn things in new ways. Oh, that's cool. Um, you know, um, that'll be, you know, fascinating to follow. It, you know, is is part of that group going to be continuing to, you know, um, update your newest project, which is Scratch, and maybe you could tell us what is Scratch. Yes, yeah, so Scratch is a project that we have been working on for a number of years and went public with about a year ago, and it's a piece of software combined with an online community that allows children to design and create interactive stories and games and then share them on the web. You know, but everyone knows that kids spend a lot of time, you know, interacting with computers these days and spending time online. But we find that kids spend a lot of that time just, you know, browsing and chatting and playing games, and they don't have enough opportunity to create things and design things and really express themselves to get their voice out online. So we developed Scratch as a way for kids to be able to not just play games but create games, not just to, you know, click on animations but to create their own animations and stories and then to be able to share them with one another. So it's a type of you know, online social network, but where kids are sharing their creations with each other, not just talking with one another. 
Can kids go? Can they go um, download it now, or can they use it now? What, where where, the, where can they go? Right. So the website is scratch.mit.edu, or if you just Google Scratch, you'll get to it. And there, you'll see that the Scratch website is somewhat in the spirit of YouTube, but instead of sharing videos, you share your own Scratch creations. Uh, so from the website, you can download the software where you can create your animated stories and games. But then, after you create it, you can share it back on the website the same way you share a video on YouTube. And then other people can comment on it. If they want to enhance it, they can download it, add to it. And since we launched the website about a year ago, there have been nearly 200,000 projects that kids have put up on the website. So the website now... Every two minutes, there's a new project coming up. So there's a real active, dynamic online community of kids around the world. How cool is that? You know, it just makes me think, I mean, you know I've been working with your former uh, uh, head of and founder of the Media Lab, Nicholas Negroponte, on the One Laptop Project. Sounds like something that would be perfect to uh, integrate with that project. In fact, we've made a version of Scratch for the Exo Laptop from One Laptop Per Child, and it's now being tested out. I know this summer there were workshops everywhere from uh, Mongolia to Alabama that were using Scratch on the XO laptop. So we're really excited about how to expand the use of Scratch on all different types of platforms. You know, currently you know, we have it on Windows and Mac and Macs, uh, but we are making versions for the XO laptop, for the Classmate low-cost computer from Intel. We're even working with Nokia on a mobile version of Scratch for one of their mobile handhelds. You know, I can't help to be, you know, the, the commercial side comes out of me. You know, as, as Scratch continues to succeed like this, with this momentum, I, I bet there's, there's the game makers and, you know, the, the software companies that would like to capitalize on kids' innovations and inventions. Have we seen any of that lurking about yet? <laughs> well, I guess the one thing that we've seen is that some of the kids on the website have created their own companies to try to distribute the games they've been creating with Scratch. Uh, one thing that <laughs> excited us, it started with, there was a girl in the United Kingdom. She started putting up projects that were mostly just characters. And she said she liked making characters, but if someone else wanted to use the characters, they should do it. So someone else contacted her and said, well, they would use her character in a game. And they put her characters in the game. And then there was a girl from Russia who started adding some programming to enhance the game. And there were four or five kids from around the world who started making these games together. And then they made their own online company called Crank Inc. that started the way for them to uh, show off their games online. They didn't actually turn it into a commercial product. But we've seen several other examples like that on the Scratch website where kids come together and start designing you know, games or stories. We have some kids, in addition to games, they take some of the television metaphors and start making like soap operas, and every week they'll come out with a new episode of a story uh, and then even ask others in the community to, you know, to uh, give suggestions on where the plot line should go or to add suggestions for new characters. So it's a type of ongoing episode soap opera, but with input from the community. How cool is that? Uh, I can't wait to go explore this more. I can hope you listeners will go and explore Scratch as well. As long as we're we're sort of on the the, the topic of kids and games, uh, you know, you've been a, a long-term observer 
of computer games and their attempts to be more educative in nature. And obviously one of the hugest uh, growing economic um, uh, categories is computer games uh, that we see people, you know, wait up overnight for the latest Wii thing or, or whatever. And from the expert, Mitch Resnick, what do you think the state of, of gaming and education, you know, is uh, not just in this country but around the world? And uh, have they been able to succeed in getting some education in there, not just all the, uh, you know, sort of the blow up and the death and doom? <laughs> Well, there's no doubt there's great excitement around the world of trying to combine games and education. And it's not surprising to see that excitement because when you look at you know, the you know, interest in you know, the kids having games and how motivated kids are with games and how they'll spend hours and hours, a lot of educators everywhere say, you know, wouldn't it be great if kids were that motivated for the types of you know, lessons that we're you know, working on in school? So there's a real interest in seeing how can we try to leverage the motivation that kids have for games and bring it into learning and education. The problem is, I think, most of the attempts that we've seen so far are trying to, you know, put games as a type of sugar-coating over as if, as if education is a bitter medicine and then games is a type of sugar-coating. And, you know, if you, you know, take the bitter medicine, then you're allowed to have this enjoyment. And I don't think that's really working very well in education I think for games and education to really fit together has to be more neatly integrated, that the learning has to be an integral part of the gaming experience. Certainly the Sim series was a good model for that. There's a lot of good learning that goes on as kids are creating you know, things within those simulations. Um, and I think what we try to look for is we're, we see that a lot of the best learning happens when kids are designing and creating things, whether it's designing their own you know games and animations as they do in Scratch, or designing a city as they do in SimCity. But a lot of the educational games today are more just quizzing the kids or feeding them information than seeing what they've learned, and we don't see that that's as effective. So I think we're still in the very early stages. I think there's great opportunity to have more playful approaches to learning, but I think we have to find the right way of doing it where play and learning are really woven together in a more intimate way, not just stacked together. What's your take on the whole, you know, I, I guess it's constructionism, the, you know, the Seymour Papert and maybe the long line all the way back to Piaget. What's your take on where that is today and your view of children really learning on their own? Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that we've, you know, learned, you know, from many, many years of educational research is that, you know, a lot of the best learning happens both when kids are working on things that they're really passionate about and when they're involved in experimenting, exploring, designing, and creating, really taking an active part in the learning process. You know, and too much of education in schools has been about trying to deliver information to the learners, whether it's the teacher trying to deliver information to the student or if we have a computer program trying to deliver information to the student. And I think that type of approach to education just doesn't work so well. So I think what we're trying to do is building on that tradition from people like Piaget and Papert, as you mentioned, they really try to say, how can we both build on children's interests and get them actively engaged in designing, creating, experimenting, exploring? And I think where we see that implemented, both in schools and outside of schools, that's where we see some of the biggest payoffs and some of the best learning happening. 
You know, this is sort of a side tangent question, but, you know, since you brought up that Scratch is sort of part, you know, social network, um, you know, I haven't done the research, but are there more and more social network opportunities for younger kids? I know Club Penguin tried to be it, the um, the uh, social network that was bought by Disney, and I don't know how quality that was. But I'm I'm wondering your opinion on sort of the growth of social networks for younger kids. Yeah. Well, I do think there's a lot of activity out there, so there are more opportunities for kids to get inv- involved in social networks. And again, it's not surprising. We're we're social creatures. We like interacting with other people, and I do think a lot of the best learning happens when we're engaged with other people. You know, I sometimes think about the famous Rodin sculpture of the thinker that has, you know, this single person in solitary thought with his hand on his, you know, resting his head on his hand. And I think that gives the wrong image of what thinking is about. And too often people see that sculpture and they say, oh, the best thinking happens when you're by yourself, just focused on thought. In fact, we find that the best learning happens when you're engaged with other people, when you're sharing ideas, building on other people's ideas. So I think it makes a lot of sense for us to use technology to connect people together. I think the problem is that many of the social networks you see today you know, are little more than kids just gossiping with each other and chatting with one another uh, or having some types of you know, simple interactions. I think what we need to try to do is evolve it where kids are involved in more meaningful activities and then sharing their ideas and having discussions around those meaningful activities or collaborating on those activities, you know, whether it's you know, you know, creating stories together or uh, you know, sharing photographs with each other or collaborating on a music video together, trying to find ways where kids can use new media to collaborate, share, and you know, create things together, uh, I think is the direction we need to go. And I think we're still in the early stages. Right now, I'd say that a lot of the social networking for kids is still in sort of generation zero, where it's opening up some communication channels, but hasn't really opened up the collaboration channels yet. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It, it really is sort of snorkeling about right now, and we've yet to sort of deep dive down into the potential of the sharing and the learning and, and the collaboration. We're going to take think a, a little... short commercial break right now, and please stand by, because we'll be right back with Mitch Resnick, from MIT's Media Lab, and more of the conversation around technology and education. This is Larry Weber. We'll be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. SEOSeek.com is your one-stop site for everything SEO. From search engine marketing to pay-per-click management, SEOSeek.com delivers high-quality SEO services at affordable prices. SEOSeek.com can help you with SEO analysis, monthly reports, title and meta tag optimization, email support, and so much more. Want to keep your SEO in-house? Let our professional trainers teach SEO to your staff. Get a free quote and a free competitive analysis today at SEOSeek.com. Welcome to Madame Natalia's. You've come to have your future told, no? Yeah, you see, I'm looking for the right life insurance affiliate program, and I have... Say no more? Huh? I see you working with AccuQuote. AccuQuote? Yes, AccuQuote. They are the nation's premier life insurance brokerage. Go on. AccuQuote will create custom creatives for you to optimize your eCPM and... 
They will offer you the highest payout for this offer anywhere. So when's all this going to happen? As soon as you visit AccuQuote.com. For life insurance, visit AccuQuote.com. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah. GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Webmasterradio.fm is now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Get out your spray paint and put your graffiti on our wall. Get all the details on the Webmasterradio.fm homepage. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Mitch Resnick, Professor of Learning Research at the MIT Media Lab, and we're talking about the future of technology and education. He's also really been the instrumental man behind Scratch, the new social network and language for kids that I urge all of you to check out or have your kids check out anyway. Uh, just Google Scratch, as uh, as Mitch had told us in the earlier section of the interview. Hey, um, Mitch, in what capacity do you all work with sort of local elementary schools, you know, um, and what advice do you have for the schools with respect to using technology today? You know, we, the first generation was we sort of just had all these these rooms lined up with computers. Um, you know, what kind of advice, and, and do you work with some of the local elementary schools? Well, we do work with some local schools, but we also try to reach broadly because a lot of the projects we work on, like the Scratch software, are available for teachers around the world. So, you know, we just had our first Scratch conference for educators. So we had several hundred educators come here to the MIT Media Lab for several days last month, and we had, you know, some local educators from here in the Boston area. Um, in fact, we had some nice support to give scholarships to teachers from local schools to come to the conference. But we also had educators from 30 countries around the world who were starting to use Scratch in their, in their schools. Uh, so I think we try to do some things locally, but we also try to think globally, because I think the type of ideas that we're working on uh, and the educational values that we see as so important are things that you know, have a place everywhere in the world. Well, in your role as, um, you know, as, you know, quote-unquote a consultant maybe, and, and with all your view of these global, uh, you know, um, issues, what do you see as the biggest um, um, hurdles or issues globally in applying technology to education? And are issues different from region to region, or are they pretty much similar from your point of view? Well, I do think the biggest challenge is changing the mindset 
of the way people think about education. Too often, when people think about education, they do think of it as a type of transmission of knowledge from an expert to the learner. And it's just a matter of delivering that information, delivering that knowledge. And I think we have to change the way people think about it to recognize that the most important uh, approach to learning is by getting the students actively engaged in designing and experimenting and exploring. Uh, And that's really the way to help young people develop as creative thinkers. One thing that I see as I travel around the world today is there's a growing recognition everywhere I go on the importance of creative thinking and innovation. Everywhere in the world, people recognize that the key to success in the future, whether for an individual or for a company or for a country as a whole, the key to success is not just what you know or how much you know, but the ability to think and act creatively. If we just try to pour information and facts into kids' heads, they're not going to develop as creative thinkers. So we need to provide new approaches to education to prepare young people for a society that's going to require creative thinking more than ever in the past. So I think there's a disconnect in many parts of the world where people, you know, business leaders, policymakers, are recognizing the growing importance of creative thinking. On the other hand, if you walk into a lot of school classrooms, they haven't put a priority on preparing young people as creative thinkers. They're still based on some outmoded approaches to education that were developed for last century society. So I think the real challenge is to shift our approach to education to be more focused on preparing young people for what I call the creative society, a society where creative thinking will be the key to success and to personal satisfaction. I do think as I travel around the world, I hear some of the... uh, that message resonates best often in some of the Asian countries because they recognize that a lot of times their education system hasn't done a very good job of supporting young people developing as creative thinker. It's been very based on rote learning and memorization, and they're recognizing that that isn't going to work, you know, for the future society. And their businesses are starting to complain that the the students from the schools aren't well prepared and they need students who are coming to the workplace ready to collaborate, to come up with innovative solutions to unexpected problems. So they see the disconnect. It doesn't mean that it makes it easy to bring about the change, but I see lots of the countries in Asia recognizing they really have to bring about that change. Well, you know, and that's sort of similar to, you know, what certain companies, even as long ago as 20 25 years ago in the United States realized, I think it was one of your late, one of your late former colleagues, Michael Dertuzos, from the Lab for Computer Science that co-wrote with Robert Solo, Made in America, who, who said one of the reasons our economy was going to come back strongly was the creativity around the use of software. Mm-hmm. And would you concur with that? Oh, definitely. And I think you know, it's ever more so today that you know, the, the creativity that's needed to be able to you know, to make advances in the digital economy. It is that, you know, creative thinking and innovation which will make the difference. And it's one thing that has helped establish the United States in such a strong position over the years. But I think looking ahead, I think there's a real challenge that I think that in most education systems around the world, we're not doing a good enough job of preparing young people. And I think that, 
you know, both the individuals and the companies and the countries to succeed in the next century, you know, in the, you know, in the years ahead, will be the ones who develop an education system that prepares young people as creative thinkers. You know, um, I know you're, you're, you're so deeply involved in the actual um, the world of education the, but, and technology. Uh, any observations on some current companies, whether they're American or not, that, that you think are, 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 you know, doing some good work in applying technology to education? You know, Apple used to arguably say that, that was, you know, something they were good at. You don't see that much anymore from, the, from them, in my opinion. But uh, how about you, Mitch? Have you, you have any companies on mind that you think are doing some interesting and good work, uh, even though they're commercial? Well, I'll mention one company that we've worked with a lot over the years, so I have some bias in this. But we've done a lot of work with the Lego toy company over the years. And for me, Lego stands out because they really have put an emphasis on, you know, providing, you know, different types of toys and and other products that allow kids to design, create, experiment, and explore. So it really does help kids develop as creative thinkers. We worked with Lego on the Lego Mindstorms robotics kit, and we see that when kids are building these different types of robotic devices, that they are you know, developing as creative thinkers as they do it. Uh, that's been very successful around the world. There have been you know, millions of kids around the world who have built robotic creations with the Mindstorms kit, and there are many robotic competitions for kids around the world. Just right, in fact, just in the last couple of weeks, uh, we worked with Lego in introducing a new kit that's meant for somewhat younger kids, because we think it's important for even younger kids to get involved in designing and creating things. So there's a new product from Lego called the WeDo, W-E-D-O, that will be out on the market next year uh, in 2009. It's meant to bring that approach to even younger kids. So the same way that kids with traditional Lego bricks can build houses and castles and in the process learn about structures of what makes things stand up or fall down, with the new WeDo kit, like the Mindstorms kit, kids can not just build structures, but they build things that come alive, that react and communicate. Uh, so they can build something that not just looks like a rabbit, but behaves like a rabbit. Or build a castle with a, uh, with a, a, a drawbridge that moves up and down when somebody approaches. Uh, so kids can really make the world around them come alive. In the process, they learn a lot of important mathematical, scientific ideas but also learn to develop as creative thinkers. That's great. Hey, um, just a, a change of uh, direction. You know, a lot of our listeners probably don't know much about the Computer Clubhouse, even though it's been around a long time. And I know you were instrumental in, uh, you know, really starting that and getting it going. Could you tell us a bit about the Computer Clubhouse and where it is today? Sure. The Clubhouse was a project we started to make sure that you know, all of these exciting new technologies and new educational activities became available to a wide range of kids from all different backgrounds and all different economic groups. We were worried from the beginning about a type of digital divide. We didn't want these benefits to go only to kids who come from privileged backgrounds, but to make sure it reached all kids. So we started the Computer Clubhouse as an after-school center where young people from low-income communities could come in and learn to express themselves creatively with new technologies. We started the first one uh, in collaboration with the Computer Museum here in Boston that later became part of the Museum of Science here in Boston. 
But since that was successful, it started to expand to a few other after-school centers. And then with support from Intel, we've been able over the last decade to expand to more than 100 clubhouses in more than 20 countries around the world. So we're really excited about having these places where we try out some of our new technologies and our new educational ideas, and it provides an opportunity for young people who, who come from communities and from backgrounds where they might not have as many opportunities. It gives them the, uh, the chance to come in and learn to both use the new technology to express themselves uh, and to see themselves as capable, confident, and creative learners to be able to really take part in you know, today's society. So it's been exciting for us. In fact, just last week we had what we call the Teen Summit, where we had teens from clubhouses around the world all came here to Boston. So we had more than 200 teenagers from around the world come together to learn about new technologies, and then they'll take what they've learned back to their clubhouses to spread those ideas. Oh, wow, that sounds great. I encourage all the listeners to check out the Computer Clubhouse. Just Google it and find out if there's one near you. Uh, so that uh, you might be able to participate in helping them out. Um, hey, you know, we've been talking about kids um, most of this time. I, I've got to ask this question, you know, as we, we all start living longer, uh, you know, than ongoing education for adults. How is technology going to improve education for adults, you think, Mitch? Well, one thing is I think just because, you know, as we get older, we still have you know, we still should keep those creative juices alive. So what I would hope is that new technologies would enable everybody, as they get older, to continue to you know, design, create, express themselves. Now, different people will do that in different ways. Some people will use technology to compose their own music. Some will you know, be able to share their photographic work on Flickr. Some will start making videos. Even you know, on our Scratch website, even though it's intended primarily for kids, we have adults as well who are making their own animated stories and games and posting them there. So I would you know, see that technology is a way that we can let everybody keep those creative juices flowing. One reason we call our research group the lifelong kindergarten group is that we, think, we see there's a creative spirit in kindergarten, and we want to keep that, that creative spirit alive you know, throughout a lifetime. And I think if we use technology the right way, you know, that's possible. In fact, one of our sponsors here at the Media Lab is AARP, the Association for Retired People. Uh, so we find a lot of interesting connections between what we do with kids and what they're looking at with some of the you know, seniors that they work with. And you know, we've done projects with them about seniors you know, working on their own blogs and their own online newspapers. So the same way we have kids doing online newspapers about what's happening in their communities, we also see seniors playing an important role. They you know, have a lot of wisdom you know, from the years and that they can share with others. Um, that's a great answer, Mitch. Hey, we're, we're winding down, and I, I often ask this last question to my guests, that it doesn't have to have anything to do with, with your work or, or, or you know, what you're about, but have you stumbled upon uh, any new cool websites or web environments or social networks or anything that you just think is really cool the last few weeks or months that you'd like to share, um, you know, with the audience. Well, here's the first one that comes to mind. I just made use of this website. It's called Flip Clips, and you can send in a little video, and they turn it into a flip book. You know those flip books where it's like a little animation as you flip through it? So I like oh, that because yeah. it, was, it was a way to take something that was just in the virtual world 
and make it physical. So that became a favorite gift, you know, in in the last few weeks that we started, you know, taking little videos, turning into a flip book, and then giving that to people as a present. So I really like that. I th- I really like sites that combine the physical and the virtual. And this was at least one of the ways of combining, you know, physical and virtual. Maybe a very different way of combining physical and virtual. I really love the site Instructables, uh, which is a site where people who are building things in the physical world then share the you know ideas of how they built those things uh you know online so it's uh, they give little tutorials about sort of do it yourself at things you might do around the home uh and gives everybody a way to become more creative in things they do in the physical world but then share it online uh so those are two examples of connecting the physical and virtual worlds in very different ways Mitch Resnick, Professor of Learning Research at the MIT Media Lab. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Great talking with you, Larry. And thanks, everyone out in the audience for listening to today's Market Edge conversation. We all know that we can continue to learn, especially with the help of great new technologies and innovations that are coming out of places like Mitch's lab. Tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time in the United States at webmasterradio.fm. For now, this is Larry Weber at Market Edge. Bye-bye.